Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. I am Eric. Uh, this week we are starting something a bit different from what you all listening are used to. As opposed to the usual, I pick one thing, Chris picks one thing every week is just our turns going back and forth. We're going to be doing a little bit more of a long form discussion because Chris had a comic that he wanted to cover. That's a lot longer than what we would usually be able to cover within just like an hour of talking. So the plan is that we're going to be spending three weeks on an extended coverage of a series of Chris's choice. And then once that concludes, we will follow up with three weeks of a long form comic of my choice and with that little disclaimer out of the way, would you like to go ahead and intro what we'll be devoting the next month talking about? Well, this is the first Chris and Eric's Long Box event comic. We're covering Final Crisis for the next three weeks. Yeah. Uh, specifically, this week, we're covering material from DC Universe number zero, as well as Final Crisis one through three. And these are from 2008, right? Do I have the timeline right in my head? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, up yeah, front, 2008, I'll just... 2009, so it was like the end of year event that year that DC did. Okay. And I'll just say up front that I have never read these before, so I'm going in with the no prior knowledge and not even a whole lot of just like context from knowing about it following comics because every time that I've talked with Chris about this for the last two months, every other time I call it infinite crisis because I know so little that I can't differentiate them in my head. <laughs> infinite crisis is the bad one that we will never cover. That's if good. I want to complain about Jeff Johns, I can probably find a something shorter that would take less time to complain about. Sounds good to me. Um, if I want to complain about Jeff Johns, we're going to read Flashpoint. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, this is the good one. Um, so this uh, was masterminded by Grant Morrison. It was supposed to be the final crisis event. Of course, that's um, total bullshit now. A very DC brave has one title. Every year. A very brave uh, and instantly dating title. Uh, well, because Flashpoint is like, I want to say three, yeah, three years after this, because this ends in 2009 and Flashpoint was 2012. Like, Morrison was still writing their Batman run that they started before they did this comic when the next Crisis event happened. Yeah. They hadn't even, like, changed what character they were mainly writing. Uh, credits is, well, there's a lot. <laughs> DC Universe number zero, I don't actually have credits for in my edition. Oh, wait, no, I do. Never mind. Okay. So this is, when I say material from DC Universe number zero, I have no idea how much, I've never read the rest of this issue, but I know it was like a teaser issue for upcoming things that, oh, I've read the Batman R.I.P. teaser chunk as well, because that's also in 
my collected editions of Batman R.I.P., which was coming out at the same time as this. But I know that there was other stuff in it aside from those two things, and I've never read them. Judging off of DC Unlimited, it's like 20 pages in total, but it's just like the equivalent of a movie trailer after movie trailer for everything coming out at the time. And only the last bit is actually relevant to us today with Libra for Final Crisis. Yeah, this is um in my edition, they also refer to it as Let There Be Lightning as the issue name um, written by Grant Morrison. Penciled by Doug Mankey, uh, only one Inca, which this may be the only thing of only one Inca that we're going to be covering for the next three weeks. Uh, Christian Alamy, Alex Sinclair on colors, and Nick J. Napo- Napolitano. Napolitano? Napolitano? Probably. There must be an emphasis somewhere there that I'm not getting uh, on letters. It's very, this is like a, so we have a series of narrative captions that start half it, there's a gradient. The lettering is actually, I'm annoyed because the lettering's the best thing in this, <laughs> in this first couple of pages. Um, although Mankey's art's pretty neat too. We've got a, a neat sort of opening page. It's the panels are laid out as though they're in a 3D space. It's very um, what Morrison does with uh, Quietly in We Three. That's exactly what I was thinking of looking at this. Yeah. It's uh, like trying to give the impression of like a character falling through like three dimensional space or beyond three dimensional space, even I guess. Which is exactly what is happening. I don't. I can't remember how much of Dark Side's situation is made fully clear in the stuff that we're covering today, which is all a final crisis that you've read because I've got you not reading ahead. Yeah, I'm not before gonna... we record each of these. Yeah, I'm not going to read ahead beyond, like, the contents of what we're about to record each time. But this is a very appropriate visualization, I think, of, like, a a pretty good way of getting at some of the metafictional aspects that will definitely be coming into prominence probably next week. Next week, there's a lot of metafiction. Um, But, yeah, so the narrative captions are yellow text with a background that is a gradient from black to red and as the get these couple of pages so they're mostly teasing at a character called libra who we actually i think get a slightly better introduction to later um but he's basically pitching his new religion of crime and a new evil god who will in, in whose name bad men can offer up their prayers and he will answer um to a group of supervillains the narrative captions describe how there's been a war in heaven and evil's won. There's references to being a runner on a line. And then on the last page, we see the narrative caption has fully faded from having half black, half red with yellow text to fully red with yellow text and a little flash logo. Because Barry Allen's coming back because this is the story that brought Barry Allen back. And this is then teasing that Barry's coming back, the uh, the second Flash, the one who died in the first crisis. Yeah, for listeners who don't know the DC history, Barry Allen was gone for approximately 20 years, and in that time, Wally West had taken over as the primary Flash, so this was like undoing like what had been a, a long-lasting death. Yeah, like, I think fully a quarter century, I want to say. Oh, well, hang on, Infinite Crisis... Is Infinite Crisis the 20th anniversary event or the 25th anniversary event? 
I think the 20th. Okay, so it's like 22 years then. Because this is a little over two years after Infinite Crisis. Yeah. Which is so bad. <laughs> I read it. I felt like I, I, I had a brief phase where I read all of the like DC multiverse crisis events back in college. And it's just draining. It's we a did bad very idea. different do things in college. Don't don't read t- uh, zero hour crisis in time if you value yourself. It, don't read Infinite Crisis. I'll take the only your good word thing to come it. out of Infinite Crisis is Jamie is a uh, Jaime Reyes. Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, so moving into Final Crisis proper, uh, our first issue actually okay. This one's got a sensible team as well. This is before we had the art and especially like the inks and all that expand out to such an extent they did later. Uh, Grant Morrison writing again, JG Jones on art, Alex Sinclair as colorist, Rob Lee as letterer. And we open with Anfro the first man. Do you know Anfro the first man? Um, So not specifically, but there's a bit later on that sort of, reframes how I look at this or like what my suspicion is because these opening pages like give the impression of like oh here is an early human like caveman might be an exaggeration because he does look like human as opposed to like Cro-Magnon. He's the first boy. Yeah. but He's just the first like the... homo sapiens in the DC universe. Yeah. Yeah, like the loincloth and like a rudimentary tool and stuff like that. And then we get him like seeing Metron. But like the impression of this, you know, gives me like, oh, this is prehistoric. But then there's a scene later on that makes me go, wait, is this prehistoric or is this sci-fi prehistoric looking future? This is prehistoric. Okay. And later on, there is time things happening. Okay, but yeah, um, this is straight up just like Chariots of the Gods is how this starts out. Well, that's what you it's Jack Kirby. Yeah. So the thing about Final Crisis is it's really a sequel to the fourth world stuff that Jack Kirby did back in the 70s. Like more than anything else, it is Grant Morrison looking at um, at least the main plot of it, the initial plot is Grant Morrison looking at all of Jack Kirby's fourth world New Gods characters and and doing like, okay, I'm going to do this again, but now, and give these characters like the epic conclusion that Jack Kirby never got to because DC was, well, they treated him like shit the same way Marvel did, frankly. Yeah. So Metron is, uh, he's the dude in the chair. He's got a magic chair. When I say magic, I mean it's technology because he's like the god of science and knowledge. Uh, his whole deal was he just wants to like know stuff, and in the older versions of stuff, he's normally like neutral in the war between New Genesis and Apocalypse. Which is imagine if heaven and hell were like planets, and then all the different gods and them are fighting. Yeah, it's like listeners, if you know anything from all this, it's probably Dark Side. Yeah, imagine imagine Dark Side from Zack Snyder's Justice League, but like good. A concept so different and so radically varying from the contents of Justice League that it sounds unfathomable. 
I listen, the, the, the Zack Snyder's version was a vast improvement over the theatrical cut, and it was, I think, kind of maybe Zack Snyder's best DC movie in that like most of it was quite watchable. But just the the new gods and that just come across as like a bunch of angry aliens through a portal, and I'm like, I, these don't feel any different from interacting with like an alien race. And the, these are gods. There's a difference, which I think that this really gets. Which is one of the things I love about Final Crisis. It is one of the times that DC has used the new gods where they feel like gods, and everyone kind of shits their pants when they realize that these people are like the evil ones are out there and coming after them. Yeah, and like later throughout, like all the characters just keep actually referring to them as gods and treating them as gods versus the way that sometimes, depending on the story, that's just kind of ignored, you know, or they're just kind of treated like any other like super alien or whatever in DC. Yeah, that that on a whole other level. Um so so yeah, I I like that here they are. But um what we see here is fully a 2001 a space odyssey moment where Anthro the first boy is told by Metron have no fear here is knowledge and he shows him fire. And then we cut to um actually funnily enough Vandal Savage leading a caveman attack because this is a young Vandal Savage. I don't think I had uh, explicitly made that connection, but yeah, that makes sense. It's made very, like, it's it's specified in um, Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne, which is a thing that Morrison wrote after this, but yeah, I think it's definitely hinted at here visually with the character's design. Um, I get the impression that the way that Morrison sees this is Vandal Savage is the last caveman, and Anthro is the first, like, full human. And Vandal Savage is, like, the, the you know, savage remnants of uncivilized man. But um, Anthro, you know, uses the fire to drive away Vandal Savage's, like, army of cavemen. And as we see the fire sort of... It's quite a large flame, like, blazing. Uh, we get some other... Some more fun lettering. We start getting new narrative captions in um they look like a torn off bit of notebook paper you ask me fire was our first big mistake and when we turn the page we see dan turpin lighting a cigarette um dan turpin is from jack kirby's fourth world comics and a frequent superman supporting character he's um a police detective he's grumpy he doesn't like superheroes yeah and like that's finishing off that quote about fire he goes like everything else the sad stinking human race ever thought of we take a good idea and we use it to kill ourselves so just sort of doing a lot to set the tone right up front with like this character's view on everything of just like the police detective watching all the superhero bullshit unfold he's so he's investigating the disappearance of six missing children um, and he has somehow wound up coming across the dead body of Orion of the New Gods in, in the garbage. Last thing I expected was to find me a super muck-muck in the garbage, is how he puts this. Only then, Orion is alive, and he grabs Turpin, shouting, They did not die, he is in you all, fight, as he finally keels back and is now properly dead. 
somehow I suspect Orion's wards will take on a whole new meaning with more context later on. Oh yeah. Um I don't know. How well do you know Fourfold stuff? Do you do you know Orion's deal? My extent of knowledge of Fourth World is that Dark Side is evil. He's very authoritarian and he has granny. And that on the other side of things, you have like the new gods with Orion just being like a douche. And also there's Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. And that's more or less all I know that the other side is like, you know, good to whatever degree to Dark Side's bad. And I don't really know shit. Like, I know there's a bunch of like sci fi tech of like boom tubes and shit like that, but that's about it. Yeah, Mother Boxes are kind of the only thing that's relevant to this. There's like a bit of boom tube stuff, but um, so Orion is Dark Side's son. Right, right. Cause isn't it like, uh, like for they whatever traded plot them. reason, they like traded sons? It was, yeah. So as part of a peace treaty, which is this is a thing that they used to do all the time in human civilization. So like Jack Kirby was just pulling from that. Um, but basically, Dark Side and uh, High Father of New Genesis, who's like the Dark Side of New Genesis, um, and by that I mean the opposite of Dark Side in every way. <laughs> they swapped kids, so Orion was raised on New Genesis by High Father as his own son, and Scott Three, who grew up to be Mister Miracle, was given to Granny, who you know raised him and her brainwashing pens with everybody else who was going to be a, you know, degraded slave. But it was like, it's a nature versus nurture thing, except both kids turned out pretty good. Yeah. Like, the Scott Free had enough in him from his parents to be able to, like, break free, but then Orion being raised well did not turn out like his dad. I really like it. I, I have been reading Jack Kirby's Fourth World for the first time properly, and... I have grown to really like Orion. I've always liked Mr. Miracle. Uh, partly just because of his relationship with Big Barda. I find a guy with a huge wife to always be a fun dynamic in comics. Like where he's he's the sly one who gets out of things. And she's the big one who smashes stuff. Is always fun. But yeah, Orion is dead now. Uh, and so we cut to Jon Stewart. His ring detects that there's a dead god in the area. Um, so what ten eleven is what they call it. So it's, it's they've got a specific uh like Green Lantern code for this. Um and so Dan Turpin leaves the body because he's just like, doesn't seem right for me to be here. It's clearly a thing for the space cops to handle. Uh we do see over Turpin's shoulder the black racer, which I'm assuming you don't know the black racer. I do not. He's the Grim Reaper of the New Gods. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they made the very smart decision in this version to make the costume black rather than the guy in it black. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, the 70s, like, Jack Kirby is clearly very well-meaning, but sometimes the uh, 70s Jack Kirby-ness of it all comes through. A lot of characters have black in their name entirely unnecessarily, even though they're still cool characters. Gotcha. Yeah, like here, uh, it just looks like a black suit of armor, as far as I can tell. On skis. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't tell what the hell that was, but on skis, I guess. The, the skis. He has skis. He skis to come and get you and kill you. Is this like a Silver Surfer joke? 
I I guess Jack was like, well, the guy on the surfboard panned out for me. I'm going to do a guy on skis. (laughs) But he skis everywhere. He's the Grim Reaper on skis. Works for me. Uh, so after leaving after leaving that crime scene, Turpin comes across Renee Montoya, who at this point is the question. Um, and she gives him some she she's also been investigating missing children. Um, but she's been investigating kids with uh superpowers, like kids with the metagene, which is this DC thing that means that they could get superpowers if you do stuff to them, um, going missing, and she's found a bunch of links to this place called the Dark Side Club. Uh, spelled like it's the thing from Star Wars and not like it's the thing from DC, uh, which she hands Dan Turpin and then leaps away to show up again later. Thankfully, because I love Renee Montoya. Uh, meanwhile, the Green Lanterns like alert the Guardians on Oa, which are like the blue boss people, and they're real freaked out by the fact that there is now a dead god on Earth, so they're sending in an Alpha Lantern, which is... um. I think a concept introduced for this comic, but it it's just Green Lantern's FBI. It's like that thing when you're watching a cop thing, and they're like, oh, goddammit, the feds are here now. Yeah, I had never seen or heard of Alpha Lanterns before this. I don't know if they've barely showed up after this either, but I'd never even I heard of the concept. The Jeff Johns one, maybe, but I, I'm not a Green Lantern head. I, I, I'm not going to read all that. I'm not going to subject myself to that many Jeff Johns comics. Yeah. I've already read too many Jeff Johns comics. I don't need to read any new ones. But um, yeah, so we cut again. You can tell this is an event comic because like every two pages we're somewhere else with an entirely new set of characters. We have a bunch of supervillains. Uh, the only one of which I immediately recognize is Livewire um, in a junkyard trying to grab uh, what is very clearly Metron's chair from the beginning of the comic, but like a crappier version that kind of looks like it's made out of junk. Uh, when they are taken out immediately by, um, well, they become, uh, and I'll quote, the first innocent victims of the blindingly obvious Dr. Light Mirror Master team, which is a very lovely bit of Silver Agey dialogue. Um, Dr. Light is a villain who can shoot light beams, and Mirror Master is a villain who uses mirrors to do things. So they're right, it is kind of an obvious team-up. Are these, like, villains going after the chair? Or is it, like, a team of heroes? Because, like, the only characters yeah, I recognize... But that's also Masi Minos from Teen Titans. Like, is Livewire, oh. like, is Livewire just, like, reformed at this point? I guess it doesn't really matter. Massey Minos is kind of an interesting choice of just, like, who's the most minor character we could have possibly picked. You know, they do say that they're the League of Titans. So if I've been misreading this this whole time because the only one of these fuckers I recognized was Livewire, and I'm like, this is some, like, competition between villains to get the chair for Libra. It is is very minor characters. (laughs) Okay. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that this is the Scottish Mirror Master from Grant Morrison's Animal Man run, who I deeply love. Whenever this guy shows up, not the first Mirror Master, don't care about him, this Mirror Master, love it. He's also in uh, Morrison's JLA run. Uh, he gets He's on Lex Luthor's uh, Injustice League in that, and it turns out that he was a double agent working for Batman the whole time because Batman just like outbid 
Lex Luthor and paid him more money. Yeah. And all the other heroes are like, Batman, you hired a mercenary, and he's like, this guy literally takes all the money he makes from his crimes and donates it to the orphanage he grew up in anyway. <laughs> Which he does, that's also established in the Animal Man run. So I'm like, so far as villains go, this guy's great. <laughs> I think he's very fun. Do you have a Mirror Master pitch? Plans you want to do of Mirror Master? No, I, I don't think I have any DC pitches beyond just like, it would be fun to do a Superman origin story. I have thoughts about, like, the speed of light and how to relate that to Superman and Zod as characters and, like, societal evolution on Krypton. But beyond that, not really anything. No hashtag own voices prestige mirror master series is... No. I can't I don't think, think of a single... Deep. I can't think of a single other Scottish DC character offhand. Yeah, all, all the Scottish comic book characters I can think of are, like... Mora McTaggart, this this Mirror Master, uh, Wolfsbane, and Proteus. There's not enough Scottish comic book characters. We need more. But meanwhile, regardless of if they're heroes or villains, just completely irrelevant characters get their asses handed to them by Dr. Light and Mirror Master, who are basically fetching this chair because Libra wants it for something. Yeah, because it, it is the the Mobius chair that um, Metron uses. Uh, at, at this point, if you've read Seven Soldiers, which I don't think is like vital to read before this, but like a lot of the new gods are already on Earth, but all of the good ones at the very least have basically appeared as like, they're just all like destitute and homeless and half remember their previous lives and can't really do much and like metron is just like a guy in a wheelchair who has no like powers or anything left just yeah uh and so the chair has apparently fallen and become junk but libra still wants it so like what is the power that this chair has exactly well if you ask jeff johns when you're sitting in it it can answer any question which is what happens with Batman in the Dark Side War. But in the context of the original Jack Kirby stuff, I, it's just like the chair he sits in. He's just got a super chair. He flies around in it. It does boom tubes. Like, it seems to just do the same things that, like, a mother box does, which is, like, boom tubes and also plot stuff. Okay. He just wants... The chair is barely going to come up again. It's just, like, he wants the chair, and then in this next scene, he's sitting in it. I think it's just a domination thing. It's just okay. showing what an asshole he is. Uh, speaking of which, we cut to a meeting of whatever group of supervillains that the supervillains are calling themselves right now. I think right now it's the Society of Supervillains, maybe? Or like the Secret Society, it might be. Secret Society, yeah. But look, like it's the Legion of Doom. Yeah. We have uh, Ocean Master, Vandal Savage, Lex Luthor, uh, a lady I don't recognize... Dr. Savannah and Gorilla fucking Grodd. I love Gorilla Grodd. Yeah, I was like, is that supposed to be Talia? But I don't know. Oh, yeah, given the error. Yeah, that's Talia. That's gotta be Talia. And then we get, in some of the shots with, like, more people, we occasionally get some more, like, lesser name or lower rung characters, like the Human Flame, who... Is from one issue me. in the Silver Age and is uh, just 
I was going to say, you could tell me that and I'd believe you. Uh, so, well, Libra, who is here, um, who I don't think we said earlier, is like a guy wearing a very strange purple and orange outfit. His gloves and boots are so weird. They have these weird, like, circles jutting out of them. Yeah, it's like his main thing is like a blue with gold trim, like, bodysuit, but then he has, like, an open cloak around him that's, like, golden, and that he, like, has the hood up on. He has those sorts of, like, the more, like, modern, like, war-looking sort of Hawkman-y design type of gauntlets and shit, and then he has his dramatic prop of just, like, a scepter or, like, a staff with, like, the Libra scales on the top end of it. I think he looks very cool. Yeah, like, it's a weird outfit, but I think it works. Certainly in the room full of these guys, he's one of the less ridiculous-looking ones. Uh, but basically, it's clear that he's come in there and he's like, okay, well, you guys are all gonna follow me now. Uh, my favorite part is when he's talking to Vandal Savage, he says, I don't want to take your place at all, please. But people have been waiting 50,000 years for Vandal Savage to crush civilization beneath his boot heel. Excuse me if I uh, stifle a yawn. At which point Vandal Savage steps up and says, I am not averse to the taste of human flesh, sir. Yeah, very much alike. Well, none of you can be that competent, can you, sort of moment. Uh, and, and so basically he's offering them all their heart's desire. And to prove that he means what he says, he has the human flame here, who is a middle-aged man wearing a red vest with a bunch of, I'm assuming they're like flamethrower devices, but it just kind of looks like metal nipples coming out from like across his red vest. And then he's got like a white undersuit under it. And it's like very clearly homemade. Yeah, like, the whole thing just immediately reads as loser. Yeah. Um, and he wants the Manhunter from Mars, which is Martian Manhunter, dead just as much as you dream of dancing on Superman's grave. And he's pledged his service to Libra in exchange for Libra killing the Martian Manhunter, which they drag John in, one of my favorite Justice Leaguers, and stab him through the chest with a big old flaming sphere as he cries out his wife's name, like his dead wife from Mars, his name, and dies immediately while the human flame films it on his uh, flip phone. And is like narrating over it like, this is what happens to anybody who fucks with the human flame while everyone but else does the actual work and the human flame doesn't do shit. There's, like, a fire guy who isn't him who is providing the fire that is doing this. Like, he's not even the fire guy in the situation. Never mind the guy with the spear. Like, I don't know who this fire guy is. I don't know if you recognize him, but he's just got, like, a flaming head. I don't. Yeah, it's just a fire-powered supervillain in, like, an all-red suit. The most, like, generic fire super character you could imagine. He's fired storm-esque the 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 guy that's two people but it's definitely not him because that guy's a hero so i don't fucking know yeah this whole thing with martian manhunter dates this so specifically 
and I don't mean dates it pejoratively, but just this hyper-specific moment where this is like, you know, post the Morrison, Porter, later Wade, Hitch, JLA, DC has decided they don't give a fuck about Martian Manhunter anymore. He doesn't even get to be in the Justice League anymore, which is his one thing. So, like, when we see the JLA through this, it's specifically that, like, um... Meltzer and... Yeah, it's, like, technically slightly post-Meltzer, but it's, like, more or less the team that Meltzer and Beans put together. And at this point was probably technically Dwayne McDuffie on writing. But it's that sort of era of the team of, like, Vixen and Roy Harper as Red Arrow and Hawkgirl and like black lightning it's like that sort of era of the team and i have a fondness for that team so i'm into it and like seeing them but as someone who thinks that martian manhunter is the core of the justice league from this era onward it is truly just like can we give my man some respect can we give my man some respect and the answer is no And here he exists to be the catalyst of here's the superhero who's relevant enough to be like, look, we're killing him. It's a big deal, but also is the one that doesn't have his own book and that no one is actually using. And so we're just burning him up here in issue one. Yeah, like it does make sense in story why they're getting rid of him specifically, because it's even loaded later on. That, like, they don't have his telepathy now to provide the worldwide communication that the Justice League kind of depends on. Yeah, like, from a strategy perspective. This is a serious blow. Yeah, he's one of the only beings that's truly Superman class. And taking out the telepathy alone is like, oh yeah, if you had to pick one person to take out first, it's probably him. Yeah, no, he would be my first target because he's easy enough to kill because he's vulnerable to fire. So, like, but he's also, like, other than that, the biggest powerhouse on that team. And he has a lot of, like, tactical functionality thanks to his telepathy. Yeah. And the shape-shifting. And the phasing through walls. And the literally every superpower that's ever been had. Yeah, which just all Martians can do, apparently, which is just so hilarious to me that they're all this obscenely powerful. Um, But clearly not powerful enough to take on Libra. Or the human we then flame. Get, or the human flame. Yes, the great threat, the human flame. Mike. No no one can mess with Mike. Uh, and so now, once again, as I said, event comic, we cut away to a preacher um, preaching on the TV about... Uh, so Bloodhaven had recently been destroyed. I don't know what fucking comic this happened in, but it's it's relevant to this in that blood raven is blood haven is for now for some reason now an irradiated wasteland D- don't know why um and the tv's being played in a bar in which dan turban meets up, up with uh the tattooed man who will be relevant late next episode but isn't be relevant again uh this episode um he is a supervillain whose tattoos can come alive which is an incredibly cool power oh yeah and he shows Turpin where the Dark Side Club is, because Turpin's following up on that lead. Um, there you go. So we, he he is 
Tattooed Man is clearly associated enough with whatever's going on in terms of like the the criminal underworld that he knows where this club is. But he isn't there. Which is such an important distinction by the end of this event. So Turpin goes in and meets Boss Darkseid. Again, two words like it's the Star Wars thing. Uh, he's been pulled in by two goons whose faces we don't get to see clearly. Uh, he says, call the goons off. I'm an old man. These boys would hate to have their asses handed to them by an old man. And Boss Darkseid says, Calabac, Canto, outside. Calabac and Canto are um, two two big, like, Darkseid underlings. In case you hadn't gotten the hints already, this guy is Darkseid. It's so cheesy, honestly, and how obvious it is, like, and like, I guess it is appropriate. By the end of the next... By the next page, it's very much just an on-panel thing that he is dark side. Yeah, it's giving, like, Silver Age comics of, like, the veneer that's so thin and obvious that it's kind of, like, why even bother? But, yeah, it feels sort of homage to that sort of silly thing. And, of course, like, at first, Boss Dark Side has these glasses on hiding his eyes, and then he'll take them off, and oh, his eyes are entirely red. I absolutely love his dialogue here, though. Like, a thing that I really like in this whole series is all of the villains just get the best lines. Um, Morrison goes all out on that whole, like, writing an absolute evil character. There was a war in heaven, Mr. Turpin, and I won. Your future belongs to Dark Side now. Uh, and Turpin is like grabs him. It's like, what did you do to those kids, you sick bastard? We taught them how to say the equation, how to be stunted, malformed slaves. Come closer, Turpin. I can use you. There, it's best you see the face of the new model human from your knees. They are beyond salvation. Children, show him what you've learned about anti-life. And it's just a bunch of kids with glowing red eyes and like evil faces just ready to attack. Yeah, do you do you know what do you know about the anti-life equation, like Darkseid's whole actual deal? I'm like vaguely aware of it from like the Justice League cartoon and just like miscellaneous DC comics. Um cool, it's that. Yeah. yeah. He's after this equation that will give him Basically, it's mathematical proof that Darkseid is, like, in charge of everything. Kind of. Like, it's, uh, sorry, it's mathematical proof that life is pointless. Okay. Which, like, he's able, you're able to use it when you have the power of the anti-life equation to control people. And Darkseid, in the final war, in heaven, you know, the war over has killed all of the new gods and sent their, like, spirits descending onto Earth. Which is why he's now just like possessing this normal dude's body. He found the equation. Okay. And they have been testing it on kids with superpowers. It's bad news. It's bad fucking news. And meanwhile, again, event comic cuts. We get the, Justice, the Justice League, League reacting to everything that's going on. We get them talking about Orion's death and about the new gods just, you know, as celestial class frets, uh, we get a shot of, like, the round table um, 
basically just confirming what we said earlier about this is the sort of like Meltzer McDuffie beans era of the team. Like we've got the Trinity, uh, Red Arrow. Oh yeah, Red, Red Arrow. Yeah, Vixen, yeah, Firestorm. Yeah, and them just talking about what a big deal is that a god died, and then we immediately switch on the upper part of this two page thread to the alpha lanterns which i'll let you try and explain this shit because i'm not even certain that i fully know what's happening lore wise all right so the rest of the page is the alpha lanterns putting a big green shield around earth securing the crime scene but the real thing is when we turn the page again where we see the monitors. <laughs> um, well, this is going to be such a big deal next episode, where this will all get explained, kind of. Uh, but basically, the monitors... Um, have you Actually, have you read Crisis on Infinite Earths? I have not. I was going to ask, are they more or less equivalents of, like, the Watchers from Marvel? Sure, yeah. There's one for each. So in the context of post-52, there is a monitor for each of the 52 universes. And since 52 ends with Mr. Mind turning into a giant space dragon moth thing and eating part of each universe's history, all those universes are now different. And so the monitors are now also each different because they reflect their worlds that they monitor. And now they... Again, this this will get... What's really going on with the monitors will get explained, so I don't want to, like, spoil or, like, explain them, because we literally have several pages of monitor explanation that we will be covering soon. But for now, the base deal is that they're, like, people outside of the multiverse that the characters exist on, like, watching over the various Earths. Yes, so they're looking at New Earth, which is the current name of the main DC universe, they refer to it as the foundation stone of all existence. This is very important information. And we see the orrery of worlds, which is what they call this from the outside. It's the DC multiverse from the outside looks like a collection of Earths in sort of an upside-down cone with the main one, which we can tell because it's bright green rimmed right now because of the like shield on it, um, at the bottom in the central position at the bottom of this upside-down cone of worlds that's then housed inside this sort of gothic architecture, cathedral-looking cylinder. And it's quite large, but it's not as large as you'd expect a whole bunch of Earths to be, because basically, like, right next to it are the monitors who look like humans with sideburns and weird hair and silly outfits. Yeah, I don't particularly care for the fashion of the monitors, it's all based on the original monitor design by George Perez in Crisis and Infinite Earths. I, I can't blame anyone for the way these things look, and I can't see anything mean about George Perez, so... Yeah, which, like, to be clear, it's, like, it's not bad exactly, it's just sort it's of, very like... very silly. Yeah. Like, and I think it's meant to be sort of silly. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 the big showy character who shows up for the crossover. These are the big showy characters that show up for the crossover. Um, so I guess in terms of importance for the scene, they have on trial 
Multiversal Monitor Nix Woten, which is how you say it. It's, it's spelled U-O-T-A-N, but it's pronounced Woten because all of the monitors are actually named after writing gods from ancient cultures. And Nix Woten is named after Woten, which is another name for Odin from Norse mythology, a god of, of wisdom and writing. There is a little bit of context that I did not know. You know how I said we were going to get a lot of metafiction next episode? Yeah. <laughs> These guys are all named after writing gods. <laughs> and they control the DC multiverse. <laughs> Sounds about right. It's, it's not subtle. Um, but he is on trial for failing to save his Earth, Earth 51, which was entirely irrelevantly destroyed in the Countdown series, which... This is the only detail from Countdown that matters at all to anything ever again. Here you go. Earth-51 got blown up. Nick Swoton was not able to save it. Um, another monitor... Uh, so there's, like, the really old monitor man, whose name I do not know, who has white hair, who is like, well, you're going to go and you will live out your days as a humble mortal germ and die to feed the army. By that, they mean they're going to make him a human. Because to them, the life forms that live on the Earths are so small that they are the equivalent of like bacteria to us. Makes and sense. And then this other, yeah, like from their perspective, you can kind of get it because, like, I mean, they have like a, a, a stack of universes in a machine, like over there. Um, this other monitor called Roxogama. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I actually don't recognize the names of any of the other gods. Uh, the only one I know is Wotan. <laughs> They're all too obscure. Uh, but he speaks out uh, to try and support Nick Swoton, but uh, they're going to sentence him anyway. And Ouija Dell, another monitor, appears to have been in a relationship with Nick Swoton. And as Woten is seemingly destroyed, like like the, they, they do the thing, like he's just sort of bright orange and disappearing um, and sent away. He promises that he'll find a way back to her. Uh, and she leaves in anger. Outside, uh, another monitor character will be, more important later, uh, Zillow Vala shows up, and it is explained that um, the monitors who were once faceless now have names and stories. There are heroes and villains, secrets and lovers, and that they have been contaminated through contact with the obscure life forms that grow within the workings of the Orrery. Through them, time has entered our timeless world, beginnings and endings. They've become more like the beings they oversee. Yeah, like, so they have been essentially infected by plot. That's and a great phrase for that. Yeah, like, like what's happened is now they're in a storyline, so stuff's happening. And what do you know, for some reason, Roxogama is speaking into his wrist and says, Attention's wonder. Wotan, my only obstacle is gone. We're on. To be is... continued on that one. Is all of this, like, metatextual, too, on the level of, like, were the original, like, monitor characters or character, like, less fleshed out when they first appeared? Like, is this also a commentary on, like, distinguishing them more in subsequent appearances? Um, I am never going to defend the plot of Crisis on Infinite Earths because I think it's kind of a big mess. But I wouldn't say that, like, the Monitor doesn't have a character arc in that. Like, it's fine. 
I don't think that Morrison's commenting on that. It's more that now they've got this race of monitors, and so he has a bunch of characters to play with, and we're gonna have some of the, like, metaphysics behind this laid out soon, but, yeah. Okay. I don't think it's a commentary on the original monitor. I think it is a commentary more on the way the DC universe has been handled and written. Okay. Um, yeah. And so we turn the page and we see we're back with Anthro and he's drawing some symbols that were like present. So like Metron had a bunch of like stuff drawn on him because he was like a shiny silvery man with like lines all over him. And uh, Anthro is drawing one of these like Kirby-esque designs into the dirt when suddenly we see again, my question is, do you know who Commandy is? I do definitely recognize the character's name in design. Um, haven't read any of the comics. This is the part where I'm like, okay, what wait, what's happening? Because this looks like post-apocalyptic. Is this the same like prehistoric man character from before or no? You know, like this is my... Yeah. It is. So this is Anfro. And he is the first boy, the first man. Kamandi is the last man. <laughs> He's a Jack Kirby thing. I can't remember whether Anfro is a Jack Kirby thing or not. Wouldn't surprise me. He loves caveman. Um, so Kamandi is from basically the planet of the apes, but it's like a bunch of different animal types who are all warring against each other. And he's like the last human left in this world. Okay. And listeners, that's why the, the Statue of Liberty is fallen over because it's really not subtle. Yeah, the immediate, like, visual signifier, even if you're like me and you don't really know these characters, it's just, oh, there's a broken, fallen over Statue of Liberty. That's probably about the most straightforward way that someone can say we've gone into the future that you could ever do. So, yeah, a time thing has happened with Anthro, and Command D is running up to him shouting, From Command D. This is just... (laughs) I guess... I have not read much of Commandy. I am assuming that his name comes from people misunderstanding the name of this place, which is Command, as in, like, I am commanding you to do something. D is in the letter D. <laughs> Command D. <laughs> Command D will be an important place later in this very podcast. <laughs> I, just, I love this kind of shit. Uh, so he shouts out, Metron gave you a weapon against the gods and we need it now. And then the Statue of Liberty and Commandy and all this immediately vanishes again and Anfro just looks very confused but is now drawing the Metron symbol onto his face. And at the as the end of the first issue, Jesus Christ, we have Nick Swoton waking up in a shitty-looking apartment, staring at his hands in disbelief, not quite, like, maybe not quite understanding what's happened to him, as we see on the news on his TV that everyone knows about the death of John Jones now, which, like, it, it looks like Green Arrow's real pissed about it. And that's the end of issue one. So on to issue two of Final Crisis, we have the same creative team. Okay, we are still not quite... At the point where everything started falling apart behind the scenes in terms of getting this comic out on time. And uh, we open in Japan, outside of a nightclub with a bunch of people wearing very flashy outfits with, like, superhero 
you know, iconography all over them. Um, although one person appears to be wearing a Stormtrooper outfit from Star Wars, but with, like, additional things sticking off of it. Um, and the... <laughs> one of the bouncers shouts, Stop! You must be super cool to proceed! Your life depends on it! Some of these this costumes is the intri- are cool, some of them not so much. Yeah, like, they're all qu- quite silly. It's giving Comic-Con. There's... Yes, like, there's a Wonder Woman, but she's wearing even less. There's, like, a guy wearing a jacket with the cover of the killing joke on it for some reason. Um, I quite like the guy who is just wearing a bunch of, like, pow, bam, zap, like, a printed shirt with a bunch of, like, you know, comic booky sound effects all over it. Like, that's great. I'm like, what superhero comics in this superhero universe are they reading with those silly, like, things on it? Um, and this is where we, we, we get the super young team established. Uh, I, 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 unless I'm very, very, very mistaken, they were invented for this. Um, but they're a group of characters uh, led by, um, oh god, I forget his name. Most excellent super bat who wears a very silly-looking sort of fusion of Superman and Batman's outfits. Like, most of them are wearing, like, riffs on existing heroes sort of outfits. Uh, And they're a young, like, super-powered team in Japan who kind of treat the whole thing as, like, a big celebrity affair. Yeah. A a reason to just go out to clubs and get attention. Yeah. Like, not to oversimplify, but it's giving sort of an ecstatic sort of thing where it's like superhero as celebrity slash reality TV slash get rich quick sort of thing. The new Warriors team who um, accidentally got that one town in uh, was it New Hampshire blown up that started off Civil War? Yeah. Uh, Japanese speedball. There we go. I don't know any of the other characters who are on that team. Yeah, and they're like watching this news broadcast of this like older superhero complaining about how like the new generation is crap and yada yada and of course like the younger team is watching and they're just like what does he know about us i saved the life of an injured porpoise so you know they're quite vain vain and also haven't done all that much and like one of them literally says all my life, I've wanted to be a gimmick. The transformation of man into merchandising. You know, just, let's get our money. Yeah, I, um, the, the arrangement of this page, like, as a note, we're, we're both very white, but, um, the arrangement of this page is literally the rising sun flag, and, like, it looks like the older superhero is wearing a rising sun flag, like, outfit, and, um, I just want to note because kind of feel like I have to note that that's like not very good. Um, I mean, I don't, don't really want to do that. I don't you... think that like I like these. I think these characters are interesting. The super young team, and I quite like them in this comic. Um, but like, there's definitely some stuff here, as there is in Morrison's Batman run, that I'm not like equipped to pass out. I don't think. Yeah, it's like I don't know enough about if any of these characters have prior. Uh, context or history to be like you know is this sort of an intentional thing and sort of like oh is that where like the older superhero is coming from politically versus the newer generation sort of thing 
You know, like, yeah, I don't I have... know if it's like that or if it's just, oh, we're just using Japanese, like, iconography without really thinking about it. I don't particularly know offhand with these characters. Yeah, I know of a super young team, I think, were invented for this. I have no idea who the older guy is or whether that's a pre-existing character or not. Just, like, it's there. There's, like, it is kind of weird to have the, like, vapid young characters be your major Asian representation for your entire superhero comic. Like, it's just a bit. But I would love to see someone write these characters in something, like, new now i think that they're interesting enough that someone should take this concept and do something with it but i they have not appeared much beyond this i don't think some of them they show up a little bit in batman incorporated or um a couple of them do but beyond that i don't think there is anything else out there but now we get introduced to a character who i am surprised to find out was not created for this comic this is sunny sumo who was actually a jack kirby original he is basically a really strong buff cool japanese dude who deals with things like he's he's always like a little bit pissed off um so i have now as it turns out with my jack kirby reading accidentally read every single appearance of sunny sumo and i am very confused by sunny sumo but i i think he's neat i have never original... read any other appearances so i can't really comment it's literally just like three issues of the forever people and final crisis <laughs> um his deal in the original is he has a part of the anti-life equation locked away in his mind and he's actually able to access it um and he also is able to use a mother box to heal like wounds that he gets in fighting and he's like uh, an underground like fighting ring person in Japan. He winds up helping the Forever People on an adventure, and then I think gets time traveled. Like they all get subjected to the Omega Effect, which is a thing that I will have to explain later in this comic. But in that story, it just sends them time traveling, and all the characters get gathered up from the Forever People except for Sunny Sumo, who they find out has lived out his life in the past in Japan and left them the mother box to re like to reclaim later like left it in a place he knew they would be able to find it so they could continue on their adventures and like keep fighting dark sides the war against dark side um how he is here in the present day basically the character he was when he was first introduced i'm just going to blame on one of the like three or four universal reboots that had happened since that story sunny sibo's back everyone and he's being accosted by a large angry robot man who, like, fires flamethrowers at his back because he just wants to fight Sunny Sumo, and Sumo literally just finishes his drink and then leaves this robot man's heart in the glass. So I guess it's a dude in a robot suit, maybe? Yeah, it's very much just like this dude wants to prove himself and show what a big deal he is, and he fucks around and finds out because... Sumo warns him, he's like, I will kill you if you keep this up. You need to stop. And then this guy launches flamethrowers at his back. So, like, I can't be too mad about it. Yeah. At which point, his heart gets ripped out straight through his armor and then just shoved on top of the glass at the bar where he had just been trying to have a drink. Um, 
so the super young team want to get his autograph and he's like uh literally any other time what the fuck is wrong with you to them i have uh, a burnt up back and like i'm me so i'll be fine but don't pick when i'm in the bathroom looking at my burns well at this point he wouldn't be because he doesn't have a mother box but luckily in walks shiloh norman who is also a jack kirby original and was also the main character of the Mr. Miracle portion of Seven Soldiers, which Morrison did shortly before this, and is kind of a prequel, kind of. Um, Shiloh Norman is the second Mr. Miracle. He's cool. He was basically a human who was trained by the original to also be a badass escape artist. And he has a mother box, um, which is a piece of New Gods technology that makes a little pinging sound and can kind of do whatever the plot needs it to do. <laughs> mother boxes are cool. This is a mother box with three X's, which I'm not sure why. Can I get just like the brief explanation of what exactly a mother box is? Like, is it not just a teleporting device? It's not. It's a bit of sentient technology. I guess imagine if your phone had feelings and could teleport you, and if your sunny sumo can heal your like horrible backburn burns um and like it goes ping it's it's super advanced god tech so it, it the the level to which it like operates means that basically if the writer needs it to be able to do a thing it can do that thing i don't know how to explain mother boxes i've i've read half of the brick that is the jack kirby fourth world omnibus and i'm still just like yep this is a thing that the forever people have that just seems to do whatever they need it to do Okay. Unless it can't do the thing, but that is... I can't figure out what the rules are. Yeah. And same here, can't figure out what the rules are. But, um, you know, they're, they're neat. This one, um, I guess if you have watched either version of the uh, theatrical movie Justice League, you'll be familiar with the mother boxes as, like, three mother boxes that were left on Earth that you have to unite in order to do a thing, and uh, it's not that at all. So, I guess there you go. There's not only three of them, there's there's more of them than that, although they're not, like, super common. So, yeah, uh, the super young team are kind of, in a way, a modern reinvention of the Forever People, because the Forever People were, like, the young hippie group of new gods. So, in a way, this is reassembling, like, you've got a Mr. Miracle, we've got Sunny Sumo, and we've got, like, a new, like, take on some of the concepts of the Forever People all together to like you know and they're about to go fight dark side because basically mother box has led mr miracle to sunny sumo and he explains that uh this mother box is just about the only thing left after the cosmic war where the powers of evils won and that mr miracle is hoping that sunny sumo can help him put a team together so yeah and then another cut because this is an event comic and yep. we, cut we cut every other page. We cut to Nick Swoten, or whatever the fuck his name on Earth is, and he doesn't, like, he seems to think that his, like, real life was a dream. He, he like, literally is des he's describing what happened to him as though it was a dream to his co-worker. Um, and they all think he's nuts, and he is trying to find the magic word that'll, like, he feels, okay, He's literally reading from the dictionary trying to find the magic word that'll, like, bring him a monitor again, essentially. 
and he's drawing different um, characters and notebooks uh, for important relevance for later. One of them is uh, Overman, who is Superman from an Earth where the Nazis won World War II. And another one is very clearly a riff on um, Dr. Manhattan, who will also be appearing later in these episodes of our podcast. Oh, I didn't know he was in any of this. I didn't I mean, it's think not they Doctor... did the Watchmen stuff. Not literally Dr. Manhattan. It's um, Captain Adam. Okay, just a riff on him. Yeah, so it is the original character who inspired Dr. Manhattan now being filtered back through Dr. Manhattan. So it's like Morrison is talking about Dr. Manhattan, but he is showing Alan more of a level of respect of not literally using Dr. Manhattan, which, you know, great. This is how you should be doing it. The Charlton characters should just be reinterpreted back through that lens. Okay. We will eventually be doing Pax Americana, which is entirely Morrison doing their take on Watchmen using the Charlton characters, like the original versions that were the set of characters that were supposed to be in Watchmen in the early planning stages, but DC were like, you can't do this with some established characters, you need to make up new ones to Alan Moore, which is why they're all like existing risks. So like Captain Adam became Dr. Manhattan, um, The Question became Rorschach, Blue Beetle became Night Owl, etc. Peacemaker became Comedian. Okay. It was like the same Captain Adam that like is then in the Justice League and stuff. Yeah, because the Charlton characters eventually got like fully just pulled into the DC universe as well. Um, so like in the existing DC multiverse, there is all of these characters have Earth Prime versions, but there's also Earth 4 where it is just the Charlton characters which is now a Watchmen Riff universe. Okay. Which is so much better than just using fucking Watchmen. <laughs> like, whenever these Charlton Watchmen Riffs show up, I'm always really happy to see them. And whenever whenever actual Watchmen characters show up, I'm like, oh, fuck off, Jeff Johns. Yeah. But I guess it is also indicative, are you reading a Grant Morrison comic or are you reading a Jeff Johns comic? Because one of those is good. Yeah. And event comic-wise, after a single page of character development for Nick Swoten, we cut again to Dan Turpin beating the ever-loving shit out of Mad Hatter. He is, and this is weird, searching for the children again. So last we saw of Dan Turpin, he had found the kids, and they all were infected with the anti-life equation, and were, like, coming towards him eerily. And now he is beating a man... To an extreme extent, while he cries and promises that he doesn't know where the children are, and Turpin's like narration says, "Who knew the sound of breath whistling through smashed cartilage could be such a turn on?" But he also cop. realizes, well, yeah, he he's a cop, but also he's like, "What the fuck is wrong with me?" He realizes there's something wrong with him. We're not supposed to just be like, oh, this is a cop. There is there is something wrong with Dan Turpin now. And it is also very strange that he's looking for these children again. Because he found them. Yeah. Um, and so, crying into his blood-filled toilet. Jesus Christ. Uh, Mad Hatter does start saying Bloodhaven. And so, Turpin gets a one-way ticket to Bloodhaven. We get exactly one page on reflecting about the fact that Jeff that uh, John Jones is dead, 
as the superheroes mourn him at a funeral. Uh, Superman hopes that he'll be resurrected, which is what happens in, I think, Brightest Day. So, like, maybe in another two years. And immediate cut again, event comic time. Uh, we're back to the Society of Supervillains, or, sorry, what did we say, the Secret Society? I think I'm mixing it's up Secret people, Society. People. It doesn't really matter, it's the Legion of Doom. Yeah, we back at the Legion of Doom. <laughs> That's so much better, just call them that. And we do um, get, like, a few shots throughout of, like, their cool little swampy base. I love that base. It's so great. Uh, well, Libra is like, well, is everyone convinced that I should be leading? Um, and Lex Luthor says, if you hurt Superman, perhaps I'll take you more seriously. But until then, uh, Clayface is down, though. So, like, all the lower ranks are clearly into this. And a couple of the upper echelons are clearly holding out, like the ones who are used to being big hitters themselves, like Luthor and Zivana and Grodd and Savage. Yeah, um, and Libra like says the big names with the biggest egos don't want any part of it because they want the prestige, but the lower level ones like Clayface are like, just do this for me. I don't care. I don't need to keep getting beat up by Batman. I don't have pride. Please help. Yeah. Um, and so Libra says, so let me get this straight. You're saying if I hurt Superman, you'll join me? Well, now. Uh, and then as they all leave the strip club that they are all hiding under, um, Luther, like checks in with Vandal Savage as to whether he'll make an alliance with him against uh, Libra, because uh, Savannah and like Lex both agree. Um, I, I guess if you don't know Savannah, he's... Just he's literally just Lex Luthor, but for Shazam, he is also an evil bald scientist. He's like a sillier Lex Luthor. I love Savannah, by the way. That is not disparaging. Uh, silly, sillier Lex Luthor, complimentary. Uh, and Vandal Savage doesn't really give a shit because he's so old. Meanwhile, Libra uh, has Mike come back inside with him alone to talk about what he owes him for taking out the Martian Manhunter for him. And then event comic cut again back to the Justice League. They're trying to do an autopsy on Orion uh, when in comes uh, the Alpha Lantern Kraken. She's kind of a neat design. She looks like um, she's like a blue alien. She's got like a weird mouth. She's wearing a green tank top. Yeah, it's like her whole character is I'm a hard ass why are the Green Lanterns working with you people? Hierarchy, hierarchy, do what I say. More members of the local crime fighting club? How much of these extracurricular distractions compromising your job as sector protector, I wonder? And he's he's literally like, Earth just like is constantly in the shit, I don't know what to tell you. Literally. <laughs> like She's like, why aren't you on all these other worlds spending time there, which impossible to begin with and also anytime anything important happens it's on earth so these comics keep being set on the planet earth who knew um and so batman is like oh well i figured out how he got killed uh he, he got shot and there's no entry or exit wound but like the damage to his heart is consistent with being shot and uh Al the alpha lantern kraken is like uh no i don't think so um, which is he I, I maintain like he was very clearly shot like there's clearly something going on with him being shot but he was shot so I sent one of your officers to re-examine the crime fighting scene for a bullet 
John Stewart is another valued member of our crime fighting club. Uh, but basically, Kraken um, says fuck you for ordering around Green Lanterns and also, like, fuck you for getting in your way. I'm in charge of the uh, this investigation by order of the Guardians of the Universe and Batman says I don't remember voting them in. Like, this is a big event comic with a million characters, but Morrison knows all these characters well enough to always get, like, little moments in with all of them, which I really like. And it never is, like, anything that detracts from the ongoing plot. It's always just like, well, you know, we just get little beats of, like, cool moments where they get to do something cool or they get, like, a good line in. And I always, like, if you're going to do an event comic, that's how you do it. Yeah, it's sort of the best that you could hope for in a comic that's so plot heavy and is incorporating such a vast cast. Including a whole bunch of new characters, too. Like, the whole Super Young team. Uh, Sunny Sumo, basically. Like, I had no idea Sunny Sumo was from anything else. I just thought he was a Final Crisis character, like the Super Young team. But, yeah. Um, like, Wonder Woman even tries to do, like, a whole, like, you know, female solidarity thing with Kraken. And Kraken's just such an asshole. Uh, but turns out that Jon Stewart has found a bullet. But it was buried in the concrete foundation for more than 50 years. But it's giving off weird energy signals when his ring suddenly stops and he's attacked by what is clearly like a green lantern sort of power, creating like like shiny green nails. He recognizes his attacker and does manage to throw a punch into their hand, but like he's about clearly about to like lose this fight. Um, and we cut to Hal Jordan asleep in bed when Kraken and the Green Lantern who was with Jon Stewart when he got attacked, but wasn't the one attacking him, show up and say they are putting him under arrest for the, the murder of a new god and the attempted murder of his partner. So now not only are they the Green Lantern FBI, they're also the Green Lantern Internal Investigations. <laughs> Uh, but Justice League think that this is, like, bullshit. They don't think that Jordan would have done this. Which, like, I mean, even Kraken is like, you know that, like, parallax is a thing, right? Like, how Jordan did that. But anyway, um, meanwhile, Orion's body is, like, vaporizing because it's made of energy because he's a god. But Batman is alone with Kraken when, like, she's like, twinges and suddenly says, Help me! She's eating my mind alive! Tell them our weapons don't work! Tell them, and then she regains composure. Says, "No, why are you looking at me like that?" Because Batman has seen the imprint of John Stewart's Green Lantern ring on her palm. And he says, "John has one hell of a right hook, doesn't he?" When Kraken powers up, attacks Batman, opens up a fucking boom tube, which is a big teleporty tube thing that the new gods use, and shouts, "Did you think the gods would tread lightly when they came among you?" Into the boom tube with you, a new plaything for Granny. The life you knew is over, mine now. Plot twist the evil gods have infiltrated the Green Lantern Corps at its highest echelons, and indeed, Granny Goodness, my personal favorite evil god, is Alpha Lantern Kraken, which does unfortunately remove her from most of the rest of the story. But I love that Granny Goodness got to beat the crap out of Batman and take him prisoner. There's Good a lot going on. There's just a lot going on. There is so much plot. It's it's not going to get any less. 
Um, so then we cut to God. Uh, Bloodhaven is currently being patrolled by a bunch of knights riding dogs, like giant dogs, like horse-sized dogs. Um, I don't fucking know. I think it's another Jack Kirby thing from like another thing that Jack Kirby did when he was at DC. Morrison's just sort of doing all of them. So yeah, there you go. Uh, but Turpin is able to sneak past them when he's uh, pulled aside by Reverend Good, who is the preacher we saw on TV earlier. Um, and, you know, Turpin recognizes him, uh, like, back in the club with Tattooed Man. And he leads Turpin into Command D, which is a secret base underneath Bloodhaven that does, like, genetic experiments and has been taken over by the evil gods. They have a bunch of people trapped in, like, cages, destined to become subhuman degenerates, living, breeding joylessly, and dying in agony to serve the eternal, all-consuming fire pits. Uh, as Reverend Good says, Hallelujah. He also talks to Turpin as though Turpin is in charge of everything. Um, so as has become increasingly clear, Reverend Good is actually G. Gordon Godfrey, or um, Glorious Godfrey, another one of the evil gods from Apocalypse. Specifically, he's the one who um, manipulates populations via exploiting their prejudices. Which, you know, that and a preacher. Is there any commentary there? Like, my one negative to this is this character was, like, introduced with a quote from Hitler, and making him a black preacher feels very strange to me. On I'm like, I I know the kind of, like, modern-day, you know, megachurch preacher that this is clearly a commentary on. I wish he wasn't black. Yeah, putting a Hitler quote in a black character's mouth isn't, isn't like, particularly advisable. He wasn't black originally. He was a white character. And in every other time you ever see this character, he looks white. And then this one time, he's normally, in like most adaptations and stuff, like on um, Young Justice, he is very clearly just Bill O'Reilly. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah like he's a Bill O'Reilly, Tucker Carlson type in most, in most stuff that I've seen. Um, you know, he's always that kind of character. That's the kind of commentary you make with this character. This is effectively, like, yes, doing that, but also, I just, I don't like that he's black. That's, that's a problem for me, because it just doesn't seem like a good idea, given especially the incendiary material this character was, like, introduced, like, leading something that was faux KKK, faux neo-Nazi. Yeah. In, like, the Kirby material this is riffing on. That's just, that's a mistake. But, um, in the group of slaves, we see Commandy. I actually don't understand how Commandy's here. I've read this whole thing. I'm like, I'm not quite sure how Commandy is also here. But he shouts that Metron gave you a weapon to Turpin. So, like, whatever this is, Metron has somehow given it to all of humanity by giving it to Anfro, because Anfro was the first human. Um, Turpin is reminded by Reverend, by Godfrey, um, that he's already found the kids, that he already met them. And he says, we, sir, are the gods of apocalypse, manifesting in all our bleak majesty to bring about the final crisis of man. So he goes into this room, which is, there's a giant dead man-tiger thing on the table. Granny Goodness, as we now know her, is there. 
alongside Simeon and Makari, who look exactly like they did in the classic Jack Kirby materials. Um, I can't remember which is Simeon and which is Makari, but one of them is an orange man with like some really weird looking sort of eyebrow designs, and the other is like a half ape man. And they're the ones who like manipulate genetics to make weird shit. And they have Batman hooked up to this big machine. And Batman turns to Turpin's like, they're coming to get us all, warn the Justice League, warn everyone, as this machine puts like a, a weird hat on him. It looks like Cerebro does now. And it's got a whole bunch of needles, so they're clearly going into the top of his head. They are experimenting on Batman. And Turpin says, oh god, oh Jesus, there's someone in my head. And we cut away again, because it's an event comic, to the Daily Planet, where Jimmy Olsen leaves, and we see that Jimmy Olsen is actually Clayface, and Superman registers that there's something odd going on, because he saw Jimmy Olsen just downstairs when a bomb goes off. And, you know, like, the whole, like, Superman supporting cast are here. You got Lois Lane and Perry White. Um... And super like all of Superman's clothes have been blown off and he's left in like his superhero outfit and some rags. And we see that Lois has been seriously injured. There's a lot happening. Yeah, like this is the sort of thing where like I like it more upon rereading because it doesn't really lend itself to doing a single reading, at least for me personally. Oh no, Final because Crisis there's is a simply book you gotta far read too twice. much going on to just read once and feel like you have a full grasp of it. When I first read this comic, I said, what the actual fuck is this? And then when I read the comic again, I got what was happening. And then the third time I read it, I was like, oh, actually, I love this. <laughs> that is my journey with this comic. <laughs> It's a time commitment, absolutely. But, like, yeah, no, it, it is a lot. It is, everything is being thrown at you at the same time. It all, it is all leading somewhere. But, I mean, obviously this is, with Clayface doing it, this is clearly Libra's plan to hurt Superman. Yeah. So Libra knows about Clark Kent, is what you can take from that. Which is mostly important in that he's able to use that knowledge to instantly take out Superman in a way that Lex Luthor never could. And so we cut once now again. Uh, this time we cut to the Flashes, who are running to a strip club, which is established as being the first place where Jay Garrick, the original Golden Age Flash, and Barry Allen met. So for context, that story is the one that invented the DC multiverse. So this is Morrison doing a callback to that original story. But obviously, this is the post-crisis version of it, where they were actually living on the same Earth, and they just met at the Central City Community Center. But, like, that has since been bought out by a strip club, so it's a strip club now. And just to be clear, here in this moment, it's Jay and Wally West. Yeah, so it's Jay Garrick, who is the one from World War II, who was somehow still, like, kicking in 2008 and doing superhero stuff. I don't understand the JSA. They're so tied to World War II, but they are still modern-day heroes. I don't... Whatever. If you um, want to get West, good JSA content, you could watch Black Adam. I've seen Black Adam. That was not good JSA content. They worked sure? with Amanda Waller. The last time we'd seen Amanda Waller in a movie, she was trying to hide up, 
cover up the U.S. government manipulating a South American nation to accept Nazis into their borders and work on experiments that were like deeply inhuman and disturbing. And yet in that fucking movie, she's working with Superman and the JSA. I'm like, these people should hate this woman. What is happening? Anyway, sorry. I hate when they have superheroes work with Amanda Waller. Yeah. She is not the Nick Fury. She is the what Nick Fury would be in the real world, and the superhero should not like her. Yeah. I think Amanda Waller is in this comic for like a panel or two. I can't remember. I think she's involved in Checkmate at this point, and Checkmate are going to come up later. Um, so basically, Wally explains that Batman's theory for what happened with Orion getting shot is that a bullet was fired backwards through time, hit Orion traveling through time, and then left Orion still traveling backwards through time, which is why it was in the concrete, you know, 50 years ago. Time travel bullets. Time traveling bullet. Which kind of means that the bullet's not been fired yet. Because it travels backwards. Yeah. Uh, Jay Garrick is really annoyed by this because he hates time travel, and they find the, like, Me- the Mobius chair that Metron used to ride around on, like because they found the secret hideout underneath the strip club. Uh, they touch it, at which point it starts glowing, and it's, it looks like a boom tube is activating. They they recognize the vibrations. Can't be, not after all these years, not after all this time. And we turn the page, and Barry Allen is sprinting after the bullet that, was, that fu- killed Orion, away from the black racer right behind him, shouting, run. Thus ending issue two. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is gonna is this gonna be the longest episode? When did we actually start recording? Um judging off of my like backup audacity file for in case the Zoom call recording fucked up, we're at an hour and forty-five minutes of raw audio. Jesus Christ. <laughs> One of Everyone? these could perhaps be the longest episode. Um the problem is that, that, that in two episodes, we're covering four issues of this fucking comic. Uh, I, I Once we're out of some of the setup, I feel like the last four issues, like one or two of them are going to be relatively quick because we're going to be like, there is a splash page of a bunch of superheroes. They are fighting stuff. Yeah, this is like introducing the foundational stuff. It's just that there's a lot of the foundational stuff. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, heading into issue three, we have, again, the same creative team. So I take back what I said earlier. It is not these issues. Well, actually, we don't have any Incas credited for these solo issues in, in my book. So just assume that the murders row of Incas that I have credited on the book as a whole are doing it. We'll read them aloud another episode. <laughs> you guys all did good enough work that I'm not, like bothered by the multiple Incas work over the uh, J.G. Jones pencils. So, well done. Yeah, the visuals at least up through number three still manage to look very uniform. Yeah, I, I quite like the art. Like, I I think that Jones's art style is very suited to the tone of especially the early part of this, where everything is kind of grimy and, like, really dark and depressing. Yeah. Like, Morrison's talked about the art switch because Mankey winds up doing most of the later issues. And Morrison's talked about how that actually wind- wound up feeling very appropriate to the material. And I agree. I um, mean, that Mankey is better at doing like some of the more batshit stuff, um, like the big cosmic battles and that those kind of things are a little bit more in his wheelhouse. 
Uh, Jones, I think, does work really well in these early issues. I love the redesigns of the new gods that Jones did. Like, the couple that we see in their, like, full god form look better than ever in this book. And it's how they should look if they show up in movies. Like, Metron's design from the front of the book is very different from, like, the original Metron design. But, like, it's still immediately recognizable as Metron, and it looks really fucking cool. It's very monochromatic, just, like, shiny, gray-blue dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it gets the vibe of Science God. Like, it, it, the redesigns incorporate, like, essentially their outfits and them like, bodies together more, so they look more like they are the concept that they represent than they are a guy in an outfit. Yeah. Like, I don't, I think that's the main difference with the original, like, Jack Kirby designs, which frequently look like superheroes. And there's just, like, an, another level that the gods, are, like, it, it is something done very well here. Um, so heading into issue three, so we don't wind up with, like, a four-hour episode, we get introduced to Frankenstein. Did you know that DC had a Frankenstein? Was he in Seven Soldiers? He was, right? Maybe he showed up in Seven Soldiers. I know him from some stuff set after this, weirdly, because there's like some Batman and Robin stuff. He's involved in Checkmate, which is like one of the DC spy organizations. Maybe I'm making up the Seven Soldiers thing, but yeah, Frankenstein. I'm not sure. He's not one of the main heroes, but he could definitely be in it. It's been year, like a couple years since I read Seven Soldiers, so I would believe it. Uh, but he is leading a raid on the dark side club where they find boss dark side's corpse so like this is a very dead man um and renee montoya who says ask the question what kind of gangland killing leaves a man mummified um before like running out i really love renee montoya she's a great character i'm very glad that she's in this comic she gets some pretty cool moments as well uh in this case she runs out um we get a little bit like what's going on because like some of the checkmate people who i don't fucking know i only know frankenstein because i mean it's frankenstein he's a he's a walking corpse sewn together i i think his whole thing in the dc universe is he just like fights evil stuff with spy stuff he's cool um but so the authorities think that what's happening in bloodhaven is that some local warlord set himself up inside the experimental weapons bunker and they're keeping it like quiet because they don't want people to know about the experimental weapons bunker and they're planning on doing a raid into it later so they clearly don't know but this is like a way worse situation than just like they genuinely think these people are just like gangsters uh but montoya went outside um this sort of meteor seems to come down from the sky but after it lands and she runs up there Re she realizes that it is actually um god i can't remember her name but it is the supergirl from overman's world so i mentioned a little bit earlier and we actually saw a sketch of her that nick swoton did um it might just be overgirl now that i'm thinking about it but she is the version of supergirl from the world where the nazis won world war ii and she dies because it is a crisis and a supergirl has to die we have never met the supergirl before but she's going to die anyway we will meet overman later and so because she stopped to try and help this supergirl the guys like catch up with renee montoya and say that she's coming with them 
At which point we event comic cutaway again to Nick Swoten getting fired from his job because he is too fucking weird. Just always talking to himself about how his life isn't really his life. He he apparently asks if anyone else felt the graviton impacts increasing, which his boss says gravitons, even the fucking word is disgusting. You no longer, as in employed at this outlet. So yeah. Uh this is starting well, I mean we kind of already there a little bit, but there is a, an ongoing theme in this comic of capitalism sucking ass, which we could see from like what is hell to the monitors? It's being a human being having to work a shitty job. Yeah. At a fast food joint. Like that is the punishment. His punishment is a life that like lots of humans just live. Yeah. That's going to become much more of a thing later. Like these first issues have so much plot but there isn't as much of the, like, meat. Um, he looks at, uh, he watches the TV through a window at a store that he's walking past where we see that a group of, oh yeah, <laughs> this is Cave Carson, who is a DC character mostly known for cave diving. Uh, he, he like, there's a young animal book called Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye that's like, a, a, that is where I know that he exists from, but I've never actually read that book. But um, anyway, his his team of cave divers um, found in, like, underneath Gotham specifically, which is kind of important, but this is Gotham, they found cave art of the Metron symbol that we have been seeing that Anfo has drawn. So they have found this symbol underground. They found the art of it. And it is identical to a crop circle that apparently has recently appeared, according to the news report. So this symbol is showing up all over the planet right now. Um, and final note for this page, Nick Swoten appears to be watched by uh, this, it's 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 like clearly the silhouette of the other mon- one of the other monitors, Zillow Vala, who is the one who talked to Ouija Dell, who was the one that Nick Swoten was like in a relationship with. After that page, there's so much packed into this comic, uh, we're back to the Flash family. Um, so basically we find out from Jay that he, Wally, and Barry ran trying to catch the bullet together as a team, but they failed to save Orion from the bullet that had been fired at him. Um, and that while Wally and Jay both sort of fell out of like the time stream or whatever they're running in, um, Barry kept running, running away from the black racer. So they were in, like, they were going so fast they couldn't talk or communicate, but it, like, they know now that Barry is alive, because death can't travel faster than the speed of light, but Barry Allen can. So he has apparently been outrunning death this whole time. And his widow Iris is, like, obviously very happy to find out that her husband is actually alive. And meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom, because we get this excellent setting change panel of, again, that classic Super Friends lair in the swamp with even like a heron flying by through the trees and the mist. I, yeah, I, I, I love that this place has shown up. It's fantastic. There's no excuse for there to ever be a version of this team that isn't dwelling here. Yeah. Uh, is there any better place for supervillains to be hanging out than Florida? It's dreadful. Yeah. Uh, so this is 
Libra is apparently giving the human flame Mike a new outfit, which like Mike of course takes the opportunity to be mildly homophobic, worrying that it might be a bit gay that Libra is like giving him shit. Giving so, him like, shit guy... is in literally giving him things. Like not like nagging yes. on him, giving him shit, but like giving him gifts. Giving him a, a, a new supervillain outfit. Boss, so, boss, uh, you're way too generous. In fact, it's starting to come over kind of gay, if you don't mind me saying. Mike, Mike, a new hideout, a new uniform. It's your commitment to a higher purpose. Go on, try it out. Heh, <laughs> helmet's pretty cool, I gotta say, but I'm still sentimental about the old crime suit. I can hear a voice. Is there a radio playing in there? That might be kind of distracting. A voice? What's it saying, Mike? Listen close. So Libra grabs the helmet and slams it onto Mike's head. Eh? You hear it now, Mike? That's the anti-life equation, you pathetic, ignorant little failure. Um, Mike is clearly distressed for a second, but then suddenly straightens up and is just standing there a panel later. Uh, yeah, so this is... Mike is the first... I don't know if they... Do they call them... Oh, yeah, I guess they... Do they call them Justifiers by any of the, these three issues? He's the first of this comic's Justifiers. It is an old Jack Kirby concept, but, like, the version that is specifically... Ha what's happening here is inside the helmet, on a loop, the anti-life equation is being spoken out loud, putting these people entirely under Darkseid's thrall. This overpowers literally everyone we ever see wearing a Justifier helmet is just immediately done for. Fully overpowered and fully dedicated to the cause of whatever Darkseid wants them to do. Meanwhile, Lex Luthor has shown up with a bunch of other villains saying, somehow you stopped Superman in his tracks. He hasn't answered a single emergency call for 18 hours. So let's just say yours is a threat we intend to neutralize. And so while he is planning on taking out Libra, Libra uses this opportunity to have a bunch of people wearing Justifier helmets show up um, and says, in less than 24 hours, the ability to make decisions will be forcibly removed from the inhabitants of this planet, Mr. Luther. So I treasure this once-in-a-lifetime offer. Join us, like Mike, with a helmet on your empty head, or renounce science and swear an oath on the Bible of crime, and pledge your service to the master of all evil. The day of apocalypse is at hand, sir, and I am only its prophet. Choose. Mike says, judge others, enslave others, anti-life justifies my hatred. Um, anti-life is not just complete and total despair, it is also fascism. Yeah. It's it's not subtle. This this is a helmet that makes you a Nazi. Uh, so at the Metropolis Memorial Hospital, because we once again event comic cut away to Superman, um, well, as Clark Kent, just like keeping an eye on Lois, it turns out that his heat vision is the only thing keeping her heart beating. I do not know how that works, but... No earthly idea. Um, Basically, he's the only... Re like, he can't go anywhere and do anything, or Lois will die. That is how badly she's been injured. Sorry. My cat's being troublesome. Oh, what's he uh, doing? Uh, this is Bronte, and she is trying to attack the microphone. Hi, Bronte. She is a menace. Oh. Um, so, Zillow Valor, like, that's clearly who this is, because she's got a very, like, weird headpiece that she's wearing, walks in and says, Clark Kent, I know you're secretly Superman, 
I know everything about you. I offer you one ultimate chance to save her, but we must leave this world now before it's too late. This um this we will follow up on next episode. But this is this is why Superman will not be in the main Final Crisis series for a while because he's busy with this other shit. And then we cut again. We cut again. <laughs> Every couple pages we have to reestablish where we are. Um so how Jordan's being taken away by the Alpha Lanterns. They refuse to believe that the like new gods are around, but I mean Obviously, a large part of this is because one of them is like literally right there and is the one being like, oh, you can't find any trace of the new gods. Clearly, there isn't a situation to be worried about. What are you talking about? Shut up. Uh, and so the uh, Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern, who is not really a Green Lantern and that he's not a part of the Green Lantern Corp, but he has like a similar power set and like is vaguely related to them. So I don't know what the actual explanation for that is in post-crisis content or in any continuity actually he's the one whose powers don't work on wood and the others their powers don't work on yellow that's all i know uh but he's like so back in the day like world war ii day i guess they had a draft for superheroes called article x so they send out the draft with the help of oracle to Aquaman, who was dead at this point, but there's a mysterious new Aquaman who's shown up exclusively for Final Crisis, and everyone else ignored this. Um, we have Captain Marvel Jr., Freddie Freeman, and Tokitani, who is a tiger. <laughs> he is a walking tiger man in a suit. I love Tokitani, and this is a great comic for Tokitani. There is going to be some stuff in episode three of our coverage with Tokitani that is just an all-time like great like this is a cool moment stuff um supergirl and black canary and green arrow who clearly just finished fucking because they're both getting dressed those two are always having sex whenever they're not on panel um and as green arrow says about getting a draft notice if anybody falls for this authoritarian militaristic crap it'll prove that i'm absolutely right about absolutely everything because Grant Morrison knows that Oliver Queen should always be written as a leftist icon. Yeah. I'm mostly complaining about the TV show here, where he is just like, what if Batman killed people? And like, no, the thing that makes Green Arrow unique is that he is the superhero who has openly, like, left politics. Haven't that watched is his the deal. show. Don't regret not watching the show. Um, It is a, like almost okay Batman show. It is a terrible Green Arrow show. And the handling of Black Canary is so bad as to be genuinely embarrassing. Uh, But we have our obligatory this is a crisis. Here is a room full of superheroes standing here because it's a crisis shot um, where Alan Scott with like a great deal extra confidence is like, I'm proud of all of you. Let's see any enemy stand against us. As a note, these people will not get any shit achieved or done for the rest of this comic. It's just, it's just a ton of people, just like half the Justice League, half the Titans, half the Justice Society, some outsiders. Yeah, just a little bit of everybody that they could fit in the panel. Yeah, there's some real cool characters here and there's a bunch of people I'm like, uh, who are you? Like, there's a green girl I don't recognize. There's this guy. Oh, that's the Ryan Choi Adam. Okay, I know who that is. Never mind. Um, uh, uh, there's, well, there's Wildcat, and then there's another guy who's a cat. 
is that like a Wildcat 2 type character? I don't know. There's a Captain Atom, but a woman, so I don't know who that is. Yeah. It's a room full of superheroes. Yeah. Oh, Detective Chimp. I'm glad Detective Chimp is here. Detective Chimp is here. At which point we immediately event comic cut to uh, Mr. Miracle and Sunny Sumo who are heading to get on an airplane um, where, like, so Mr. Miracle has explained the new god situation to Sunny Sumo because Mr. Miracle knows about them from the Seven Soldiers miniseries and he's like, we're just gonna, like, have to, like, basically Sunny Sumo is like, we're showbiz people, why are we the ones who have to do- fight them? And Mr. Miracle's like, well, we don't have a choice. I don't think anybody has a choice. We're all going to have to fight this war sooner or later. At which point, some justifiers show up with a rocket launcher and blow up the plane they're about to get into. When, very luckily for them, the super young team show up in a cool car that is, um, it's uh, Superbat, that's his name. That's like Superbat's car that can also fly and they're able to fly away and get to safety. Uh, the super young team are very excited to be involved uh, in something with these two actual celebrities. It's a bit of bit of action. You need a bit of action, and like gets those characters together. We then immediately cut away to uh, Wonder Woman at Bloodhaven. Um, she's currently comforting some people who are, I guess, refugees from Bloodhaven, and then working with the Atomic Knights, who are the people who are riding the giant dogs. The giant dogs, uh, they, they explain the giant dogs, don't they? Oh yeah, these pony dogs of ours are a direct result of Command-D research. So Command-D, the, like, base that the dark evil gods have taken over, did, like, genetic research to make very large dogs that people could ride around as though they were horses. They come across a bunch of corpses from people that Darkseid has killed, at which point Mary Marvel shows up, wearing a black outfit with her Shazam like lightning logo the Captain Marvel logo um, as a boob window and she has her hair shaved except for two like tufts of bright pink hair that look like ponytails and the whole thing kind of has a BDSM vibe a like Nazi BDSM vibe yeah like her hair like... looks so horrible because like, like she's mostly bald and she has these cutouts for the two hair streaks but it's not perfectly fitted so you can still see her bald ass head around it it is a a very ugly look frankly (laughs) like it's a purposely ugly look but it's an ugly look um for like this obvious parody of like evil is sexy kind of thing uh she does the modern dc event of violently gutting people including unfortunately one of the uh Big pony dogs gets its head ripped off, um, and starts attacking Wonder Woman, who is just like, "You look different." This, um, I don't think it's clarified here, but for clarification, this is like Mary Marvel turned evil in Countdown, and I believe that this is Morrison retconning it because, as we will find out later, but it's not explicitly stated here. But we will find out later. This is Desaad, who is possessing her body. Desaad is. The evil new god who basically is like Darkseid's right-hand man who is just an ugly guy wearing a sheet who really loves torture. His whole deal is like coming up with new horrible ways of torturing people. And he's a little freak about it. So this is actually like some real sick shit. 
but I guess it's kind of better than this just being something that Mary Marvel, the superhero character, has decided to do on her own. So, yeah. She's killed one of the Atomic Knights, um, and, like, Wonder Woman's able to beat her in the fight, but she spoils the whole thing. She says, I do what Darkseid tells me now. They've been hiding in human bodies, you moron. You're too late. You fucked up. In five minutes, the anti-life equation goes global, and you fucked up. But don't worry, you'll be working for Darkseid too. We needed a delivery system. We needed a disease carrier. That's you, Wonder Woman. And she's broken like a vial with like some glowing green stuff. And like, so Wonder Woman is now ground zero infected with the like biological carrier for the anti-life equation. So yeah, Wonder Woman just got taken out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. If you had any comment on the Mary Marvel stuff or the Wonder Woman getting taken out in issue two or issue three. Not really. Like, I really don't have any thoughts on any Shazam characters. And then with Wonder Woman, it's just continuing the like obligatory setting the stage by shuffling the big guns off the board where they can't save anybody. Just between killing Martian Manhunter and having Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman all taken care of in various ways. In Wonder Woman's case, quite the opposite of saving people. Yeah. Uh, So we have Mikari saying, uh, uh, the the, like weird orange dude with like the black designs in his face. I'm Mikari of Apocalypse in Darkseid's name now end the world as he presses a button on a computer and it turns out they have sent an email to every single address on the planet with a virus with the anti-life equation in it. And so they have used spam to end the world. As Mr. Terrific and Oracle like try desperately to shut down the entire internet before like this hits everyone. And so to end issue three, Barry Allen and Wally West fly out of the time stream Wally is shocked to see Barry, and he thinks, Uncle Barry, is it really you? I think we ran a few weeks into the future. Talk to me, Barry. And Barry is kind of despondent about, like, not being able to save Orion because the murder had already happened. So why does he have to come back to life? What have they done to the world? And we see Wonder Woman in kind of an evil, like, yeah, uh, evil as kinky Wonder Woman outfit, riding a big, mean-looking, like, dog with glowing red eyes. Uh, Behind her are other members of what we are going to find out are the new female Furies, which is Granny Goodness's, like, it's where Big Bard is from. The evil group of, like, women who work for Darkseid. We've got Batwoman, uh, who is where, has actually has a ball gag in. We have Catwoman, who looks pretty normal, actually, and is that Giganta? That's my assumption. We have Giganta, who is a very, very large woman standing behind them. And the last line of this comic is Wonder Woman saying, superheroes, kill. So, um, this sh- shit ain't great. Putting, putting it simply. Yep. And that's, that's, that's actually the where the episode wraps up. All of that. The world has ended. We are a few weeks into the future. So there is a few weeks since the anti-life equation got uploaded to the internet and the vast majority of humanity got infected by it. 
and is now wholly subservient to the will of the evil gods. Batman is being experimented on. Superman is off doing another thing that we'll find out about next episode. The Flash has accidentally skipped most of it. Martian Manhunter's dead, and Wonder Woman is leading the female Furies. <laughs> it's not looking good. Oh, and there's something going on with the monitors, which we will explain next next week. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. What did you think of these first three issues? Um, As the newbie, I obviously love this, but like, also the stuff I love the most is coming up. So it's a bit like this is the setup for it. With the caveat that this isn't the sort of thing I naturally gravitate to. You know, it's like, I thought it was like solidly good. Um, It's not particularly my taste, but I can still, as I reread it, and honestly listening to you give me more like historical context of what's being referenced and such, you can know... um, you know, I can appreciate the degree of craft conceptually and what all Morrison is trying to like weave together into this and just like how many balls are being juggled in the air, you know? Um, and there are like just like certain little ideas or character moments or stuff that are cool too. Um, like I think I said earlier too, I like it a bit more rereading it and talking about it more than just like on the first sort of confused read so yeah it's like (laughs) not particularly for me but i still think it's decent i um i like a comic that's a puzzle sometimes which this definitely is um i will well this uh this is not the episode there will be an episode later where i will literally explain how this and the lego movie have the exact same storyline so get excited for that. Um, yeah, I mean, right now it looks like it's just a big event about the evil gods taking out the Justice League and taking over the Earth for a while. And there is something up with the monitors. That's the big thing we don't know anything about yet. But we're going to get our answers next week. So everyone should tune in next week for more Final Crisis. We will be reading Superman Beyond 1 and 2 and Final Crisis Submit, which is another tie-in issue written by Morrison that is, like, it sets up some stuff that heads into the final four issues of Final Crisis, and it is also, to an extent, a, like, this is the state of the world under the reign of the evil gods of Apocalypse. But I think we're going to spend most of our time on Superman Beyond 1 and 2, because they are fully insane. In, like, a good way, I think. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it is, it is a straightforwardly, it is kind of nice change of pace, it is a Superman book where the main character is Superman. So there is two issues that are a Superman story. And while there is a lot happening and a lot of it is fully insane and crazy and like, you know, the Morrison thing of just being completely nuts. The next part has, I think, some of the strongest material uh, because both that and Final Crisis Submit have a much tighter character focus than the main body of Final Crisis. Okay. And then we're going to get all of the really cool climax moments, which are really great in the last half of the four issues, as well as a lot of the strongest material with um, like Dark Side and some of the more uh, like different political things, the stuff about like writing and stories and the metafiction of it that this book winds up commenting on. Okay. But uh, uh, yeah, 
Yeah. So thank you all for listening. There's your reading assignment. See you all then. And bye. Bye. Oh, 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 oh.